welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is an open and shut episode with Matt Phillips. Matt is the author of a new book called Countdown, which is definitely in the vein of Elmore Leonard or some of Don Winslow's uh, West Coast work, like The Winter of Frankie Machine and and that strain of his uh, early work. We're going to talk to Matt in a few minutes, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, he'll remember one of the most interesting drinking experiences I've ever had, but I'll let him tell you that story. Uh, Before we talk to Matt, though, I want to tell you that Wrong Place, Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is an up-and-coming publisher of dark and gritty crime fiction that tends to reside at the darker end of the spectrum. If you want to learn more, you can go to downandoutbooks.com that's down and out books all spelled out dot com down and out books take the journey with us well now let's dive in and meet matt phillips well hey matt welcome to the show hey frank thanks for having me i really appreciate it glad to be here for those people listening uh we have actually met in person uh we met at uh BoucherCon last year at a uh, Down and Out Books uh, gathering. And um, we were joined by a rather interesting drinking mate. Uh, <laughs> you, want, you, want, you want to tell that story? Yeah, I, I guess uh, I could say that uh, you're, the, you're the only person that uh, I've, I've had a drink with, with uh, you and, uh, and a mummy and a, and a dead person. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Uh, Eric and Lance threw that party, and we were all together. And uh, next, thing, next thing we know... Uh, you, me, and Eric are being dragged into a to an adjacent room. I guess it was with under lock and key. And go figure, there's a mummy in a glass case uh, in Saint Petersburg, Florida, which makes no sense, but it really happened. <laughs> yeah, I guess the the bar was shared a building with the museum, and didn't the the guy that was ten and borrow his mom managed or something? Yeah. Like so- that? Something about how he he wasn't supposed to be in there. I do remember them saying, that. and they they were pretty for for bartenders. I thought they were pretty uh, they were pretty drunk. Yeah, so. yeah, that was pretty funny, man. She's like three thousand years old. Yeah, we have a picture too. I should throw yeah. it on my website. Uh, yeah, that's right. We got off on the right foot. That's for sure. Yeah, something like that, right? Uh, so you live down in San Diego. Yeah, currently I live in San Diego. Yep. How long, how long have you been there? Oh gosh, I've been in San Diego off and on now for uh, almost 10 years. I bartended out here uh, in my early 20s for, for about five years and then kind of hit the road and bartended in different places. Uh, Portland, Oregon, Boston, Mass. Um, I've worked as a reporter in North Carolina and Denver. Back here, my, I followed my wife to a, she got a job out here and, and here we are for, for the time being. So, yeah. And you set, uh, at least Countdown is set in, in San Diego. Are your other books as well? All, you know, most of my books so far have been set in San Diego. Countdown is set in San Diego. It's sort of a, I guess I call it an urban crime thriller. Uh, it's very noirish, obviously, like most of my work. Um, I'm working on a novella now that's set more in the Mountain West. Um, I've also written a number of books, uh, including Accidental Outlaws, that are sort of rural noir, and those are set in the Joshua Tree area, where I actually grew up, and that's kind of after high school time, etc. So um, a lot of my work is set there, especially my short stories tend to be set in that rural noir-ish setting. Uh, I do want to talk about Countdown because that's your newest book, uh, but I couldn't resist bringing up The Bad Kind of Lucky. 
it's, it's it's a twisted comedic noir is how it's described it's got this guy going on a journey that has him bumping into crooks catholic priest cartel enforcers a strawberry picker and a wide-eyed <laughs> expat i mean it just it sounds wild i'm gonna have to read it now what's the deal with that the bad kind of lucky is a really interesting book i think um i had a lot of fun writing it that was published by shotgun honey so i'm really thankful to to ron over there for for publishing that book I, so I took a trip through Baja uh, with my wife maybe three or four years ago, and we do spend some time in Baja. Uh, they call it sort of the last great road trip, and um, I, I would agree. I mean, it's this really interesting region of the world. If you've traveled at all, it, it, it's very um, – it's desolate in lots of ways, even though there's sort of tourist you know, parts to it. And it's just, it's rich with culture also, which is really interesting and the outdoors. So, so it's a wild place and I've always been fascinated with it. So, so here's the thing. I read this really great book by a writer named Charles Portis and, and he's sort of this, this writer from Arkansas and he wrote a, a great book called the dog of the South. And, and it's about a guy going through Mexico. And so I was, I was a little bit inspired by that. And then I also read a book, which was just recently made into a film called The Sisters Brothers by a guy named Patrick DeWitt. And these books are sort of the, these characters that just go on these journeys. And they don't always – they're not evil characters necessarily. Uh, they're sort of just magnetized to evil for some reason. And I wanted to write a story that was a wee bit philosophical but also comedic. And then it's got to be noir because I'm writing it. And that's the stuff I love. So – that's kind of how it shook out. And, and the book is sort of, in a way, a meditation on um, faith and belief. Um, I had some things happen in my life that sort of made me think about uh, God and religion, et cetera, at the time I was writing it. So, you know, I think like all great noir books, it's sort of, it's, it's about existence. It, it, it's about, is there a God? Is there not? Um, and it's also just just about, um, you know, it, it, being human in, in a modern world uh, where you're unmoored. Well, as you go through that description and then some of the descriptions of your other books, there's kind of a trend that starts to develop with regards to at least the plot descriptions. It seems like a lot of them feature sort of a down on their luck guy who's in a low end job and then he's, you know, sparked by some kind of event that happens to them not of their own doing and that sets them off on this adventure that's what i drew from the descriptions now would you agree with that or am i off base no i think i think that you're right on and as you're describing that i feel like that's my life (laughs) (laughs) dead dead end jobs you know interspersed (laughs) with minor bouts of adventure um (laughs) and usually some sort of pursuit of money involved um yeah, I, th- I think, you know, for me, and, and, and I want to be clear, I'm not writing right now. I, these books aren't, for instance, um, PI novels or sort of traditional crime fiction in the sense of they follow a police officer. They're, they're, they're books that follow criminals. That's because I'm really interested in how people behave based on their circumstances. And I think we should examine that from all angles, right? And it, it just, it's really more interesting for me to follow a character who is really straddling the line between good and evil. Not that police officer characters can't do that because they do, but, but in noir, it's, it's sort of about being outside of institutions. Like you're sort of just unmoored in the world and you're trying to find a place. Um, where do you belong? How do you fit? And I've just always been drawn to that sort of outcast character. If I look at my 
the art and books that I've been influenced by, generally I, I favor those characters. Uh, I think it's probably a reflection of who I am as a person, unfortunately, for my retirement account. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, talking about Countdown, which is the most recent one, I don't remember who said this. It was on your website, though, but uh, you had a blurb on there. Uh, Anthony Neal Smith, maybe? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Said yep. that Countdown uh, reads like an homage to Elmore Leonard. And that's pretty pretty lofty praise, uh, but I, I started reading uh, Countdown. You were kind enough to send me a review copy, and and I got to say, I think he's bang on. I mean, uh, that, those first few chapters, that's exactly the style that uh, that they're in. Uh, now, obviously, you are developing your own style. You're not trying to copy anyone, but would it be fair to say that you're influenced by, by Elmore Leonard? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think um, that's that's absolutely fair to say and anthony neil, neil smith was right on by the way he's written a bunch of great books in the past few years one of my favorite is a uh, worm if nobody's checked that out yet i, I think that elmore leonard I, for so many of us who write crime stories he's sort of a touchstone but you know what it is I, I think it's this idea of getting away from artifice i mean i picked up a book recently i'm not going to say the name of the writer but it's a sort of a literary writer who's, who's a great writer right but I mean, I, I, I catch myself saying, you know, so many of these sentences, they're sort of like selfies, right? It's like, <laughs> no, I, I don't want to sit around and look at you crafting beautiful sentences, right? I mean, yeah, I write a beautiful sentence every now and then, throw it in when it matters, but not every sentence. It's like, let's, let's move forward here uh, in the story and, and, and let's, this has got to be about character. It's not about you. And what I love about Elmore Leonard's books is I really don't think they're never about him, right? They're about these amazing characters who are evil and funny and, and real people. And that's, sure, the style of writing is, is one way of looking at it, but also the subject matter and how a writer approaches it. And I think if I'm in any tradition, it's the tradition of people who look at character as the focal point and, and try, to, try to look at the world through different pairs of eyes and then write in that way. Yeah, you know, I haven't listened to or read very many interviews by Elmore Leonard, so I could be way off base. But I would, I would uh, be willing to bet that he didn't plan to have a style. I think he did what you said. Uh, you know, took the character and looked at the character, and then explored the character in the most economic way possible. And if it didn't move the story forward or didn't let you know who the character was, then it you know, got cut and that resulted in the style as opposed to, uh, like you're talking about uh, very, uh, purposefully and artistically crafting a style. Right. Yeah. I, I think you're probably right. And I mean, you know, it brings up this idea. I remember a, a teacher, I had a writer, she, she said, you know, the, uh, the best writing is so good that it, it actually disappears and does not appear as writing on the page. Right. Mm hmm. Because it could, because it's it's almost as if you're just absorbing it as a reader, and that's what I'm that's what I'm striving to get to. Um, I don't think I've gotten there yet, but but little by little, and it, there's nothing like um, this book was edited by two amazing editors, Chris Radigan and Chris Black. Uh, one of them is is a Brit who who uh, does a lot of crime fiction editing, and he he runs Fahrenheit 13, and then Chris Radigan, for folks who don't know him, he runs All Due Respect books and. I mean, if, if you don't think you have any babies in your writing, uh, these guys will find them and tell you to kill them. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> they, I mean, it's to the point where I'm like, 
going, man, really that one too? And it's like, you know, but, but they just find them and, and because it's all about the story. It's not about the writer. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the story because uh, countdown has kind of an interesting premise that, that I don't know that I've seen before because it's, it's rather timely. Um, maybe you could lay it out for us. I got really interested as uh, recreational marijuana became or was was being you know evident that it was going to be legalized here in this in California. Uh, I got really interested in in the sort of bank aspect of it because I was wondering, well, how what happens with the money, right? And just through some sort of you know initial research, uh, basically online, I discovered news stories of basically folks running dispensaries, uh, even even legal you know legal. For, for medical marijuana, they, they didn't have anything to do with their money. They just would have to be all cash. And the question was, where do they put the money? Well, fact of the matter is they, they bury it in their backyard or they rent a storage facility and they put it in a safe. And from there, I started, I know some uh, law enforcement officers uh, socially. So I started talking with them a bit about, about what they think happens with the money. And, you know, the news stories were right. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of it's cash and it just kind of hangs out doesn't get into a bank and that's where the story comes from i thought what would happen if a couple guys decided hey we're gonna we're gonna become our own bank in a way and we're gonna collect money for these dispensaries and we're gonna hold it and then what would happen if someone knew that and decided to rip those guys off and so the reason this money can't go on the bank is because it's still a scheduled drug federally even though the state has legalized it that's part of it i think the banks can't take the chance on insuring this money, right? Mm-hmm. More than that, though, I actually think there's another part of this which is really interesting that the people who are running these businesses, you, you know, if, if it was me, I would be worried about putting my money into a bank if I think, for instance, the federal government could seize it, right? And so maybe there's a way they could do that. And, and I don't know if that's the case, but... I think there's also this idea of we don't necessarily want to institutionalize our money, but there's still the problem of the money itself, the physical money. It's a lot of money, right? You have a dispensary that makes 50000 a week. That's all cash, a lot of small bills. What are they going to do? And that's kind of the premise of the book is, is what happens with the money. So it's kind of a heist, kind of a double cross sort of story. Yeah, and, there, and there's some uh, post-war elements to it, right? Because some of the main characters are, are war vets. And I think there's also a class element to it. But, but yeah, it's sort of a heist novel that um, has a bunch of street people trying to, trying to get, get this money. Well, I have uh, read the beginning of it. I think that it's very promising. It reads really smooth, real fast read, and uh, characters really pop out, very defined. Uh, at least the characters I've, I've met so far. So, uh, I, I think you're 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 hitting the target with what you're shooting for. Hey, thanks, Frank. I appreciate it. Thanks for reading and having me. Really exciting to get the book out in the world, and I'm just uh, stoked that people can pick it up. So, uh, the book's been out since uh, April. That's right. Yeah, since April 26th, uh, you can pick it up at all the spots you buy your books. Um, and if, if you really want to help out some indie writers, pick it up from downandoutbooks.com. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to reading the rest of it. And uh, I appreciate you coming on the show, Matt. Hey, Frank. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, man. This has been awesome. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, everything that you could possibly learn in a short interview with Matt Phillips. A <laughs> really nice guy. Really good writer. I have a... Uh, 
started a countdown. It's one of about seven books I'm reading at once right now, so my progress is slow in all of them. Uh, but I was definitely grabbed right away by his uh, very spare uh, style, and uh, I don't think the comparison to Elmore Leonard uh, is is unfair at all, uh, even though that's a, a, an author that people tend to use for comparison's sake, maybe more than they should and not always accurately. In this case, uh, very reminiscent. Uh, and as I mentioned in the opener, it uh, also strikes chords with me, similar to that of uh, uh, The Winter of Frankie Machine by uh, Don Winslow. Uh, if you would allow me just a brief bit of blatant self-promotion here, I'd like to let you know that uh, my new book with Colin Conway, Charlie 316, is coming out on June 10th of 2019. It is a police procedural, uh, very suspenseful one uh, with a lot of twists to it. Uh, it takes place in Spokane, Washington in the aftermath of a, a controversial police shooting. Uh, and uh, we're both very excited about this book. It's the first of a four-book arc that we're working on, and books two and three have uh, already been written, and I, I think they're actually even better than the first book, certainly building on the uh, on the strength of the first book. Uh, so you can get that from Down and Out Books uh, starting June 10th, and if you hear this and check it out before June 10th, uh, it is available for pre-order at about half off, so you can take advantage of that. Anyway, Charlie 316, uh, I want to thank uh, Matt for coming on the show uh, and, of course, Down and Out Books for sponsoring. And I'd like to thank you, the listener. We are coming up on uh, the end of Season 2. Uh, one more episode to go, and that will be with Colin Conway to discuss Charlie 316. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place to write crime.